it's starting to sound repetitive, but it's another dominating win for Max Verstappen. It is the Belgian Grand Prix review. It's either time to lament the fact that this season lacks any type of championship showdown that the sport brings or just to enjoy a historical season by a driver getting ready to grab his second world championship. There is some things to unwrap from the Belgian Grand Prix from Spa over the weekend. We'll go over the other finishers in Sunday's race. We'll have a report card for all 10 teams. We'll put into context what we're seeing from Max and Red Bull as they are running away with the season. It's the Overtake F1 podcast. I'm Tony Desiri. Thanks for joining us. Subscribe to the podcast if you like what we've been doing. If you're brand new, glad you could join us. If you've been listening, we really do appreciate the five-star reviews. If you can give them to us, it really helps us grow the channel. This might be the shortest podcast I've done because I'll be honest with you, there wasn't a lot to unpack here. There is some stuff and we're certainly going to do it, but in the end, this is really about Max Verstappen and Red Bull and the domination that they had in this race on Sunday. So at the engine upgrade penalty, Verstappen starts 14th on the grid. It ends up being 13th because Pierre Gasly started from the pit lane. And then Max starts making his way through the field like butter. Now, but what was really impressive was how patient he was. He knew he had the fastest car. He needed to navigate through some early problems. He had to make sure he didn't suffer any contact, especially on the first turn right at the start of La Source. And then the incident at Lacombe's on that first lap between Hamilton and Alonso has to make sure he kind of stays clear of that as well. Verstappen also benefited from the fact that as one of the top cars, drivers were not going to put up a fight as the fight for them was not against Verstappen. It was against somebody else in the field. Verstappen's fight was going to be against Russell, Sainz, Perez, those guys that were up front. Well, maybe not Perez, but Albon, Vettel, Ricardo, Alonso, they were not going to hold him back. Verstappen was going to go too fast. He was going to beat him at some point. So they didn't want to lose ground to the other drivers by putting up a fight that was going to go nowhere with Verstappen. He was also one of two drivers that started the race on the soft tires, which is no surprise when the goal is to try to take an already fast car, get it up near the front as soon as you can, maybe hold on to that car through the first round of pit stops by the leaders who are on mediums, and that kind of puts you in the mix for the running at the top anyway. Carlos Sainz, though, starting from pole position, was also on soft tires. So Verstappen was able to dice through the field on soft tires, a fast car, an engine upgrade, great setup for the circuit and competitors up front, where most of them weren't going to fight him for position. But that's not to diminish what Verstappen did here. He dominated in such a way that this race is going to go down as one of his best, if not the best in his career. It is back-to-back of such performances. Remember, he started P10 in Hungary and won. This was P14 slash 13, depending on how you want to look at it. And he won it at Spa. And here's the kicker. He won by 18 seconds over his teammate Sergio Perez. So in a sport where hundreds of a second really matter, tenths of a second are forever, he wins by 18 seconds. Now, I'm a radio guy. I can tell you what you can do in 18 seconds. You can grab a drink, eat a bite of a sandwich. This is the amount of time he had to wait for second place to cross the line. Perez was driving the same car, started 12 spots ahead of him on the grid, and there was still an 18-second gap between Verstappen crossing the line and then Perez. So one of the early incidences that deserves attention is the contact between Hamilton and Alonso that I mentioned a little bit earlier. 
It happened on lap one after they went down the Kimmel Strait and into Lacombe Chicane. Hamilton was trying to pass Alonso on the outside, which caused contact, kind of shutting the door on Alonso, and that impact sent Hamilton in the air. He suffered damage, later had to retire. Alonso did have some harsh words on the radio, upset after his strong start. He was criticizing his former teammate, who, quote, only knows how to drive and start from the front, called him an idiot. Hamilton did take blame, though, for the incident. He said he just didn't see him in his blind spot. It ruined a a chance for a nice finish for both Mercedes cars in their pursuit of Ferrari for P2 and the constructor's standing. That was the incident that later brought out a safety car when Hamilton just realized, I can't get around this circuit, had to park it out at Blanchemont. So Hamilton was out, and it wasn't long before Valtteri Botas was out, too. Nicholas Latifi went wide, spun a bit, coming back onto the track. Botas was trying to avoid him, ended up in the gravel. His day was over. Hamilton, as I mentioned, tried to continue after the contact with Alonso and he had to pull over and that brought out the safety car. So up front at this point, this is relatively early in the Grand Prix, you had Carlos Sainz, who's leading Sergio Perez, George Russell, and Fernando Alonso. Verstappen at this point, though, is eighth when the safety car came in. What's kind of cool about the front, and and again, I kind of like to see these kind of things, is how many different teams were in the top 10. At this point in the race, it's relatively early and it's not going to play out this way, but you know, take a look. You have Ferrari followed by Red Bull. Then there's Mercedes. Alpine is there. Aston Martin is there. McLaren, Williams, Haas. All of them had a car that were in the top 10 at this point in the Grand Prix. And if there's one thing about Formula One that I do like, and I've said this before in other podcasts, is that you can have a race for the front and you can have races where maybe you have a Max Verstappen dominate or when Lewis Hamilton dominated, but there are battles within the larger battle that are really important. And those things are worth paying attention to. So you can get a little bit out of a race where overall it's kind of boring as to who wins and who comes in second and who comes in third. But when you're talking about constructors races and maybe personal driver's standings and all of that, there are battles within the battles, as I said before. By lap six, Verstappen had made easy work of Alex Albon and Daniel Ricciardo for sixth place. On lap seven, he passes Sebastian Vettel for fifth. After climbing up on Rouge, he uses DRS and he gets by Fernando Alonso. This is where Martin Brundle says in the broadcast, these guys don't have a fight with Verstappen, so they're not going to fight him and try to battle him. They know that that's a lost cause. Verstappen's going to get past him. He's got the faster car. They know it. They're, again, their battles are with each other in the midfield, so they don't need to be messing with trying to slow Verstappen Stappen down for any reason whatsoever. But after he passes George Russell for third, now that's a guy who really wants to try to keep him back, but he doesn't have the car for it. He then gets behind Sergio Perez. So Verstappen is behind Sergio Perez. And Perez, at first doesn't appear to make it easy for Verstappen to pass. This was around lap 11. Carlos Sainz was the leader and he's pitting. Now he's got, he's got soft, so he's making the early pit stop. Now this is where you want the undercut if you're Max Verstappen. And at that point, he's behind Sergio Perez, though he does get past Perez when they go down the Kimmel straight. But remember, this is the point where he's trying to pick up as much time as he can so that when he pits signs, there's a gap between him and size. that may allow him to keep the lead of the race. Verstappen even says this on the radio. It's like, you know, we're losing silly time here. And, and eventually he does get past Sergio Perez. So signs comes out of the pits just behind Daniel Ricardo in sixth place and was stuck behind the McLaren. That's good news for Verstappen. Verstappen's putting in a good level. 
lap time. Perez goes into the pits on lap 15. He started on the mediums. Verstappen stays out on the softs. At this point, he's up almost 14 seconds on signs. It's not enough to complete the undercut, but it's 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 up there. Max pits on lap 15, gets a fresh set of tires. He goes to the mediums. When Max comes back out, he's 4.7 seconds behind signs for the lead. <laughs> That's not a lot because... Verstappen starts eating away at that really quickly. This is how good of a car he had on Sunday. Just he's flying around Spa. I mean, he's just flying around it. By lap 18 on the Kimmel straight with DRS, Verstappen retakes the lead. At this point, barring a very unlikely mistake or an engine problem by Verstappen, which is not likely given his upgrade, the race is over. The only question was the finishing order. Max kind of sent one of those not today to everyone else out there. Like he was going to win this and was going to win this by a lot. The championship lead is now 93 points. It's 93 points. We just started the second half of the season. The coronation for this guy is going to run through Zanvoort. It's going to run through Monza, Singapore, Austin, Brazil, all the stops to get to Abu Dhabi. He's going to have this wrapped up with a number of races to go. This is going to go down as one of the most dominating seasons any drivers have ever had. And we've had a lot of dominating seasons in the sport of Formula One. If he keeps this up, he's going to lap this field. I mean, he's going to crush it. I don't know when the official... He, he could clinch it by race is going to be, but look for that coming up soon. It's going to, it's going to be a while. It's going to have a number of races under the belt, but eventually sometime late September, you're going to start seeing, he should have this wrapped up. If he does this and keeps this trend, he could have it wrapped up by this race or that race. Sergio Perez finishing second. That gives Red Bull a one-two finish. Fourth time this season they've gone one-two on the podium. It's also the ninth win of the season for Max. Carlos Sainz finishes third. George Russell finishes with another top five finish in fourth. All right, so let's get to the team reports. And again, this is be rather quick because you know, it wasn't a, a whole much stuff to sort of digest here. Red Bull, as I mentioned earlier, one-two finish, dominating performance by Max Verstappen. Nothing else to say. There was no controversy, no issues. Max got the win. They were the dominant car. He does the lap in qualifying. He's done. He knows he's taking an engine upgrade, so he's finished. He sets the pace. Everyone else admitted that, that they didn't have the pace for the car. What surprised me, I'll be honest, and I know it surprised some people, was the 18-point gap between him and his teammate, given the head start Perez had. I mean, maybe we shouldn't be all that surprised, but they are supposed to be driving similar cars, and that's just too big of a gap for me. But it does show you what level Max Verstappen is at right now. All right, so let's get to Ferrari. Carlos Sainz started from pole, but the Scuderia didn't have the pace for Red Bull. So third place finish was probably the best they could get from the day. He wasn't going to beat Max Verstappen, and he didn't beat Sergio Perez either. He finishes nine seconds behind Perez. So you can see the gap between what Ferrari brought to Spa and what Red Bull had at Spa. So it's pretty, pretty big. I mean, that's a nine point deficit to second place. Forget that. It's a, what, a 27 point gap to first place. They conceded a fifth place finish for Leclerc. They even asked him at one point, do they, what tires he wanted towards the end? Did he want mediums? Did he want hards? But they bring him in to try to get the fastest lap. Now, this is where a lot of the Ferrari commentators were, you know, Ferrari's doing it again. Everybody kind of raised their eyes because when he came in to get the soft tires, try to get the fastest lap, he only had like about a 16 second lead over Fernando Alonso. So it was going to be close. 
So it was going to be pretty tight. He gets the tires, he gets out, and Alonso gets ahead of him. So now he's fighting Fernando Alonso, and that's not the way to get the fastest lap, but he has another lap to do it, and he eventually passes Alonso. So he loses the place when he comes out in the pits, and he's fighting for that spot. He does get eventually passed him when they come around again to for the final lap to go on the Kimmel straight using DRS. But in the end, he doesn't get the fastest lap. That still goes to Verstappen. But here's what make it, makes it interesting. Leclerc had a fifth place finish locked up. When he came in, he sacrificed that fifth place finish to Alonzo. There was no real guarantee that he would get it back, but he does get it back. And then there's a speeding penalty that he takes. Speeding in pit lane that he has to take a five-second penalty. So guess what? At the end of the Grand Prix, Fernando Alonso is fifth, and Leclerc has to drop down to sixth. Now, if you had, quote, speeding in the pit lane on your Ferrari's issue bingo card, you get to put a marker there. So I didn't have that. I don't need that. I still have spun with no contact and bad hard tires and double stacking. I, I still have those. Unfortunately, I don't think I'm going to get a Ferrari bingo because I have take a driver to the wrong circuit on the wrong weekend thing on my on my card. So I don't I don't know if they're going to be that dramatic, but that's what I have. So all in all, it wasn't a bad weekend for Ferrari, given the pace of Red Bull signs is the best of the rest, if you will. And Leclerc, though, should have got a P5 out of it. Speeding on pit lane is on him. But nevertheless, it's still yet another thing that Ferrari takes away from the weekend where you kind of go, oi. All right, Mercedes, Hamilton's mistake, that was pretty costly for the team. They lost ground to Ferrari in their pursuit of P2 in the constructor's standings because both Ferrari drivers did get in the top 10 and got points. Hamilton did not. He gets a DNF. George Russell, he's able to get a P4 out of the deal. He's having a great season. We've talked about this many times. He finished in the top five in every race so far this season except one. That's Silverstone after that opening crash. Alpine. Talk about a game changer in their battle with McLaren for P4. They got Alonzo and Esteban Ocon in the top 10. Alonzo gets a P5 after the penalty to Leclerc. Ocon finishing seventh. Alonzo had a great starting spot on the grid. Didn't suffer catastrophic damage in the incident with Hamilton. Ocon took a grid penalty. He started 16th, worked his way up, finished in the top 10. They now lead by 20 points over McLaren in the constructor's standing. As for McLaren, the reason Alpine was able to get this lead up to where it is now is because McLaren had a bad, bad weekend. Lando Norris finished 12th and Daniel Ricciardo finished 15th. Neither driver scored any points. Norris was the chief points getter for the team anyway, and when he didn't get any points, the gap between them and Alpine was going to grow. It must have been a tough weekend. We'll talk about this in a little bit for Daniel Ricciardo. I had to answer questions about his departure at the end of the season from the team, as well as his future in Formula One. Aston Martin, Sebastian Vettel doing the retirement tour now, and he ended up with points, a P8 finish. And since his announcement prior to Hungary um, in the final race of the first half of the season, he's ran in points in both races at, at Hungary and uh, Spa. Lance Stroll finished P12 outside the points. Alphatari, finally some points for Pierre Gasly. He was going to start eighth, but then took a grid penalty and then had to start on the pit lane. So nevertheless, he finishes ninth. He had been out of the points for five races before the Grand Prix weekend. Yuki Tsunoda had a P13 finish. Alfa Romeo, tough break for Valtteri Bottas on his birthday. He drove off the track to avoid some contact with Nicholas Latifi, ended up in the gravel, had to retire the car. Joe Guan Yu finishing P14. 
As for Haas, no pace. P16 for Kevin Magnuson. He did have it, he did have it in the top 10 early, but a P17 for Mick Schumacher. It was a very disappointing day for them. Williams, hats off to Alex Albon. I'm always going to give Albon credit. He got P10 and a point for Williams. He had a good qualifying run, was racing pretty good on Sunday at a really cool uh, pass of Daniel Ricciardo down the Kimmel straight into Lacombs. Latifi finishes P18, had that spin that caused Valtteri Bottas to crash, um, and he's the, but he becomes the final car to at least finish the Grand Prix. He was also a lap down. All right, so there you have it. That's a report card and a quick rundown of all 10 teams that were on the grid for a Sunday's Belgian Grand Prix. All right, so let's get to what we actually saw on Sunday, which was a dominating race by Max Verstappen. I remember when I was a very young radio reporter and I was covering my first NASCAR event at um, Loudoun, which is in New Hampshire, and I did not know anything about motorsports. So I got into this basically by force because when I got a job at WGIR in Manchester, New Hampshire, one of the largest news departments in the state, in a small state, but nevertheless, it was a really good sports department. My boss asked me if I liked motorsports. So you racing fan. And at the time I was 21 at the time. And I said, no, not really. And he said, well, I got an opportunity here for you. There's a lot of racing that goes on at Loudoun. We got all sorts of different series that comes. Would you like to go? And I said, well, yeah. I said, he goes, this could be your beat. Like, this could be your thing. You go to all the press conferences, you go to all the races, talk to all the drivers, be part of every press conference they have. This could be your thing. It's the, one of the biggest events that we have in the state, and this could be your thing. And I, I embraced it. So I gobbled up all sorts of information that I could. But the best education that I got, and I am getting, getting somewhere with this, the best education I got was I was sitting at a, a NASCAR Bush Series race in New Hampshire, and I was sitting next to a woman who was a writer for one of the NASCAR magazines based out of Charlotte. And I, we just struck up a conversation and we were rolling along and I told her I was brand new to this and I didn't really know what I was seeing and I needed like kind of a crash course on the rules and I don't know what this means and what that flag means. And she was guiding me through it. She was giving me all sorts of education. But one of the things that she told me was that NASCAR back in its you know history, and this is, you know, she wasn't talking about at the time, but she was talking about throughout its history, that every now and then when a race would get kind of boring, when you'd have a guy, you know, lapping the field or whatever, or getting close to lapping the field, that occasionally NASCAR officials throw a red flag, right? Whoops. Well, got some debris on the track. Nobody really see any debris on the track, but nevertheless, what, you know, the drivers would get bunched up because it would make at least keep the crowd engaged, give them their money's worth, if you will. It's not that they were throwing races per se, but she told me that they kind of had a history of doing this. Now, again, I don't know if they, you know, when that ended or if they still do it. I mean, but I thought it was interesting that they were always trying to put on a show. Well, you don't see that in this sport, right? I mean, you don't see randomly a, a Formula One driver just, you know, having a big lead and then, and then Formula One going, whoops, we're going to be throwing a yellow flag for no reason. If you have a dominant performance, you have a dominant performance. If you get close to, um, lapping everybody like at Austria or something. That's the way it goes. If you get to a point where you win by 18 seconds at spa, that's the way it goes. What does it mean though? Is it less boring, um, be, to see a dominating performance because you're seeing a dominating performance? Well, that depends on the individual. If you're a brand new formula one fan, I'm going to tell you, and I think I've said this on a couple of podcasts. These are the, these are the races that are going to happen every now and then you're going to get this. Not every race is going to be a thrilling fight to the finish like we had in Bahrain at the start of the season, where it comes down to the you know, final lap battle. Um, and that's why it's hard to predict when you have 23 races on the schedule or 22 or 24 or 20 or whatever it is to think that every race is going to be like that. Every race isn't going to be like that. Sometimes the setup and the circumstances just work out for one particular driver. 
Now, is it better to have three or four drivers competing for the championship? Sure. Is it better to see two guys competing for the championship? Well, I like to narrow it down to that. I like to see one or, you know, a battle between one and two, because I think it sort of adds a, has a mono and mono effect that I think we kind of like. But one of the other factors here is we're seeing a dominating performance. We're seeing a historically dominating performance. And that, I think, carries a little bit of weight. You may not like Verstappen. You may love Verstappen. I don't think I'm arguing for him or against him here. But I do think that there are various times where you want to have a, a feeling like you're watching something historic. And right now we are with the, his pursuit of his second world championship. I don't know what the final points total is going to be. And I don't know where it's going to compare to others. We still have a number of races. He could DNF in a couple of them. It could tighten up, but not it, but still be controllable. I don't know where we're heading, but I do feel like this is one of those seasons where you'll remember. And then in 2023, we'll see which team and driver has to step up to make the challenge because there should be a team and a driver that steps up to make the challenge. All right. I do want to get one final thought in on Daniel Ricardo. I've had fun with Daniel Ricardo a little bit this year um, on his underperformance at McLaren. Um, you know, I've said many times, but I've been pointing out the truth. The McLaren is in this fight with Alpine for P4 and the constructors. And the reality of it is, is it's been Lando Norris mostly that's been getting points. Daniel Ricciardo has contributed 19 points so far this season. And Lando Norris has contributed all the others. Um, and therefore, Daniel Ricciardo has not performed in that seat this year that they would like. And so he is going to be departing the team at the end of the season. They worked it out. So he is going to be gone. Now, does he have a future in Formula One? Yeah, you bet he does. You bet he does. He'll land somewhere. And I think the accolades that he's getting from Christian Horner, who says, you know, you're not really seeing the real Daniel Ricciardo when he was at McLaren. And I think that the love Lando Norris has for him, he's a fan favorite. I think there is an open seat somewhere that he's going to land in. Daniel Ricciardo is going to remain in Formula One. I do feel bad for him in a way. I think there was something he was trying to get. And I, and I don't mean championship. I think there was something he was trying to get after he left Red Bull. He saw the writing on the wall there. I think he knew what that team was going to be as Max Verstappen's star was shining. When he went to Renault, he couldn't really get it there. When he went to McLaren, that a team that he felt was an upgrade and more in line to giving him a fight for a championship that didn't work out either. I don't know where he goes from here. I mean, he's not going to be in a Ferrari seat. He's not going to be in a Mercedes seat. He's not going to go back to Red Bull. He has got to figure out the place and find what he's looking for. Does he want to have an opportunity to win a few more races every now and then when the opportunity arises? I, I would hope so. But I also think that being a formula one driver, it's hard to give up. And he's, I don't think he's going to be giving it up. I think he does need to find the right team. Maybe it goes right back to Alpine. Maybe he goes back to the team formerly known as Renault. I don't know. But I know he will have a ride in 2023. I just don't know where. But I will say, I think that that moment when he crossed the finish line at Monza, a race that, yes, Verstappen and Hamilton got tangled up with at the chicane and both were out of the race. So neither one of those championship contenders were, were competing at that particular moment. I do think, though, that resonated around the globe. I think when you have a guy like him that, that that's that popular, that that wins, and you knew he, he, he was struggling in that car going into that race, right? They were starting to come together a little bit, but he was struggling in that first year with McLaren, and then he gets it across the finish line. He gives McLaren a long, long win, awaited win. He gave him, he ended a drought for that team. That should never be forgotten. 
whether Oscar Piastri ends up at Alpine, ends up at McLaren, I will at this point when we're recording the podcast, we don't know where that's going. Well, I hope by the next podcast in our um, Dutch Grand Prix preview, we'll have the the hearing and have the results of that hearing. And we'll talk about it. Whoever takes that seat and whatever success they have, I hope the team doesn't forget that Daniel Ricciardo gave them a win at the Italian Grand Prix in 2021. And that was one of the best moments the sport has had of that season. All right. We will be back later this week. It's a short turnaround. We'll have the Dutch Grand Prix preview. It's going to be huge for Max Verstappen at his home Grand Prix. Remember last year when he went, he was in this title fight with Lewis Hamilton. He will be going to Zandvoort full capacity and a lot of fans knowing he's going to be the champion in 2022. It should be even more electric than it was last year. And last year was one of the best scenes for fans that we had all year long. And that was only 67% capacity. All right, look for that coming up. Again, subscribe to the Overtake F1 podcast if you like what we've been doing. I really love doing it. I'm glad you like it, and I'm glad you're listening. Please leave us a five-star review if you like it, because it does help us grow the podcast. I'm Tony Desiri. Again, thanks for listening. This is the Overtake F1 podcast.